All right, I'm going to let you sit where you're sitting this evening, and uh, I want to deal with Ezra chapter 7. This is where the Lord led me to tonight, so I'm not going to do it small group style this evening, uh, but I do have a message that I want to give to you uh, tonight. Ezra chapter 7. Uh, you guys can help me out. What is potential? What is potential, Carter? Carter, look down real quick. What is potential? All right, hope, all right. Who else? Yes, ma'am. Capability, all right. Give me one more. What is potential? Yeah. Things in front of you? What you can progress to. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. You know what, my, uh, my high school coach, he always said this, potential just means you haven't done anything yet. I thought that's a good way to put it, right? Uh, everybody talks about your potential because you haven't done anything else. You have not arrived yet. Well, talking about meeting your potential, um, that's kind of the subject that I want to deal with this evening. Uh there was not a, uh, Abraham Lincoln was not a man of noble birth. He was not a man who graduated from our country's leading universities. He was simply a self-educated country boy from Kentucky who became a lawyer, ran for a number of offices, lost a lot of them lost a lot of his elections, but he became the 16th president of our country and led our nation through one of its most difficult periods in its young history. And concerning his heritage, and you might even say his potential, Abraham Lincoln remarked, I don't know who my grandfather even was. He says, but I'm much more concerned with who his grandson will become. And history would later record that Abraham Lincoln did quite well. He met his potential. Like Lincoln, the subject of our text today was a unique character in the history of his people. Unlike Abraham Lincoln, however, Ezra was a man who was rich in heritage. So we're in Ezra chapter 7 in your Old Testament, and we're going to look at verse number 10 in just, a, in just a few moments. Ezra's spiritual heritage traced all the way back to Aaron, the brother of Moses, the first high priest of Israel. And his great-grandfather was Hilkiah the priest, who served the Lord during the reign of Josiah, uh, king of Judah. And you'll see that in verse number 1 of this chapter. And as a result of the corrupt leadership of Josiah's father and his grandfather, Ammon and Manasseh, Israel was becoming an increasingly wicked nation to whom God would soon pass judgment. But Josiah had a heart for God, and he desired to do that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. 2 Chronicles chapter 34 verse 14 records that it was during this time that Hilkiah, 
found a book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. And through Shaphan the scribe, Hilkiah sent the word of God to the king, whom after he heard what it said, made a covenant before the Lord to keep his commandments, his testimonies, and his statutes with all his heart and soul, which caused a wonderful revival among the people of Israel as they gave themselves as a nation to serve the Lord. So if Israel would have continued to walk with God, think about this. If they would have continued to walk with the Lord and to live righteously, to live holily, to live justly before God, Ezra's life would have looked dramatically different. Because of his heritage, because of his lineage, he would have had the pleasure of serving in the, in, in the Lord's temple, in Solomon's temple, where he would have served the Lord with gladness and be found making atonement for God's people. But because the people of Israel went away from God, Ezra was nothing more than an obscure priest with the undesirable privilege of being born as a captive. You might say that he was a victim of circumstance. And if that were the end of Ezra's life story, it'd be another tragic lesson of how sin negatively affects our life and so many other lives. Many generations would have never experienced the positive impact that comes from one who meets the godly potential of his life. And like so many of us, Ezra could have chosen to blame his lack of spiritual influence on his circumstances. After all, his life could have been different if not for the mistakes of others. He didn't ask to be born into captivity. If he had been raised in a more spiritual atmosphere, who knows how God might have used him. And even if his circumstances were to change, it's too late for him to start impacting lives now. If only he could have started when he was younger. Sounds like, like a lot of excuses we still get today. And we still use today. And the truth is, we are all masters of making excuses. We can all come up with different reasons and why is of why we can't be used of the Lord. And sometimes we blame our, blame our circumstances. I can't do anything for God because I'm not smart enough. I didn't get enough good, uh, a good enough education. Uh, I, I, raised, I was raised up in a, in a broken home. We, we look at our circumstances and we say, I messed up. Because of how I was raised, how, was, how I came up. I had nothing to do with it. And so we make that excuse. And then sometimes we make the excuse of blaming other people. Well, it's not my fault, it's their fault. It's, some, it's someone else has to be the blame. Certainly can't, I don't want to carry the weight or the burden, and so it's easier for me to blame others. But much of the time, and if, even if we're not aware of it, we choose to blame God. You remember in Genesis 3 and verse 12, after Adam and Eve had partaken of the forbidden fruit, and the voice of the Lord came walking in the garden and said, Where art thou, Adam? And, and Adam said, I hid myself in the trees because I was naked. And God said, Who told thee that thou was naked? 
And what did Adam do? You remember his response? His response in Genesis 3.12, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. Sometimes we look at it and we say, well, he's blaming his wife. Yeah, he is. It's her fault. While he just stood back and did nothing. Can I get amen? That's a different message for another time. I'm going to save that message. It was easier for him to blame Eve, but he didn't just blame Eve. He says, the woman you gave me. I didn't, that's right, he blamed God. I didn't pick her, you gave her to me. So it was God's fault. God put him in that circumstance. And so it's easy to blame our circumstances. It's easier to blame others. It's easy to blame God. But thankfully, Ezra's life is not a testimony of unreached potential. Instead, it's a testimony of the blessing and power of God of how he can take an obscure priest that no one knew anything about with so much working against him and yet accomplish so much with him. Now, before we really get in the message, I, I want to mention this. Six times in chapters 7 and 8, we learn that it wasn't his heritage that gave him the ability to impact lives, but it was the hand of God that was upon his life. If you're in the habit of taking notes, write down these verses. In chapter 7, you'll find it in verse 6, verse 9, and verse 28. And in, that's chapter 7, verse 6, verse 9, and verse 28. And in chapter 8, you'll read it in verse 18, verse 22, and verse 31. The hand of God was upon his life. Now, let me get this, since you young, uh, young men and young ladies are in here with me tonight. All right? You need to be sure you have the hand of God on your life. All right? Now, we'll get more into that, what that means. But you don't, you'll always find a reason why you shouldn't or why you can't. You need, to get your, you need to live your life in a way that God can put his hand upon it and bless it. All right? So, uh, in, in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 46, the Bible says, And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. And Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 1, Ezekiel was moved by the hand of the Lord. The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord. And in, chapter, in Luke chapter 1 and verse 66, it was upon John the Baptist. And all they that heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What manner of child shall this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. It helped many to believe on Christ. In Acts 11 verse 21, the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. And so all of these people that I mentioned, they're great people mentioning the word of God. And what they have in common is they could not do it by themselves. They need the hand of God upon them. And every one of them had different circumstances. They come from different backgrounds. And every one of them could offer different excuses. Okay? But every one of them was mightily used of God because his hand was upon them. Now also you see the converse effect because sometimes when the hand of the Lord was upon someone, it had a negative effect. Because it was against those who forsook the Lord. In Judges 2 verse 15 says, Whithersoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil. 
as the Lord had said, as the Lord had sworn unto them, and they were greatly distressed. Because they had forsaken the Lord, his hand of blessing was not upon him. His hand just simply got in their way. In 1 Samuel 12, in verse 15, it was against those who refused to obey the Lord. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall the hand of the Lord be against you as it was against your fathers. If we want the hand of the Lord upon our life, then we must desire to live our life for the Lord. We must desire to obey his word. We must desire to live a testimony before him that he can bless. What you cannot expect is the hand of God to be upon you and blessing you when you choose to live life your own way. I'm going to reject Jesus Christ as my Savior. I don't want anything to do with church. Well, don't expect God's blessing upon you. All right? And don't blame God when it's not there. All right? Sometimes God just gets in the way because you choose to reject him. All right? So you want the hand of the Lord to be upon your life and upon your uh, ministry. Now, the question that lies before us is this. What can we learn from Ezra that can help us to experience the hand of God in our life and fulfill his perfect will? And I want you to look with me in verse number 10. And this is really where we're going to focus the message this evening. We'll look at some other verses. But I want you to see how, why God put his hand upon Ezra and how God used him. Because it says Ezra had prepared his heart. Everybody see that? Ezra prepared his heart. In other words, in other words, Ezra had made up his mind. He was going to be used of the Lord. He made that decision. Daniel made that decision when he was young in the book of Daniel. Also someone who is in captivity. Also someone who had the had the excuse of his circumstances and his surroundings and the, and the blame on, upon others. And why would God allow him to be born in that generation? It all the excuses in the world. Well, what we get from Ezra is this. And it's something that everybody can do. What the principles I'm going to give you tonight from verse number 10 is something everybody can do. You don't have to have a great lineage. He simply prepared his heart. He gave his heart unto God and allowed God to fulfill his will. All right, what did he do? Look at, look at the rest of verse number 10. He sought to study, okay? Ezra had prepared his heart, number one, to seek the law of the Lord. Ezra had a desire to know what God's word had to say. That's what he had. He didn't have your King James Bible. He didn't have the Bible that you have in your lap tonight or on your phone. He did not have that. He had the Old Testament law. And he wanted to know what did God say? What did God expect of me? What does God want out of my life? And he began to study that. He wanted to seek and study the law of the Lord. Now, the thing is, is you're not preparing your heart for God to do something with your life if you care nothing about what God has to say. Y'all got to help me out a little bit. Everybody wants the blessing of God. He prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. Okay, Psalm 119 verse 165 says, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Well, 
how do you how do you seek to how do you seek the law of the Lord? How do you seek to study? Well, Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, verse 13, till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. You learn by reading. Amen. Amen and amen. R.A. Torrey said this. You may talk about power, but if you neglect the one book that God has given you as the one instrument through which he imparts and exercises his power, you will not have it. You may read many books and go to many conventions, and you may have your all-night prayer meetings to pray for the power of the Holy Ghost, but unless you keep in constant and close association with the one book, the Bible, you will not have power. And if you ever had power, you will not maintain it except by the daily, earnest, intense study of that book. Ninety-nine Christians in every 100 are merely playing at Bible study, and therefore 99 Christians and every 100 are mere weaklings when they might be giants both in their Christian life and in their service. R.A. Tory. You got to get in the book. It affects your prayer life. Power comes from praying. But you got to know what to pray for. So you learn by reading. You also learn by researching. 2 Timothy 2 verse 15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So just study the Bible. Run the cross-references. Learn, learn, learn. Open your heart to it. Get your strong concordance and look up words and study. You grow in it. You learn the word of God by reading it and by researching, by studying it. And then learn by remembering you know what our kids are doing in Awana tonight? Right down the hallway, they are memorizing scriptures. Why is it important for our kids to learn scriptures? Psalm 119, verse 11. Thy word have I hid in my heart that what? That I might not sin against thee. All right? It's there. doesn't leave you. And if they get it when they're young, it stays with them longer. I was uh, with my daughter. She rode with us over to the funeral today. Every song that came on, uh, Garrett had his phone hooked up to the, to the uh, Bluetooth, yeah, radio. Yeah, the Bluetooth. Every, every song that was sang, uh, that, that came across there, Claire was singing it. She knew every word to every song. Just blew me away. I can't remember half the songs we sing. All right? I just... It just, just, it just clicks, it clicks, it clicks, it clicks. You learn by remembering, okay? So write down a verse. I, I remember, I'm talking to you young folks, uh, when, uh, when I first got into church when I was 19 years old and I heard my pastor preach and he would quote these verses and he would say these verses, this and that, and I'd listen to him and I said, man, I want to quote those verses. Those verses are good. I want to lead somebody to the Lord. Well, for me to lead somebody to the Lord, I need to know where those verses are. And it helped me if I just memorize what the verses are. Just, just memorize them. So you learn by reading. Just get in there and read it. You learn by researching. You're studying. You're growing. You want to know more. And you learn by, you learn by remembering. Um, let's move on. He uh, secondly, look in verse 10, he sought to submit. He sought to submit. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. What's those next four words? And to do it. This is rocket science, huh? It's very simple, all right? 
I prepared my heart. I want to learn what God has to say. But if you want to do that, then you better be wanting to do it. Okay? So I'm, I'm wanting to hear it. I'm wanting to learn it. I'm wanting to memorize it. I'm wanting to grow in it. But I'm wanting to do it. Not just to be a hearer of the word, uh, but also a doer. And so you want that to become a part of you. Well, Psalm 119, verse 33 and 34. Psalmist writes, Teach me, O Lord, the way of thy statutes, and I shall keep it unto the end. Give me understanding, and I shall keep thy law. Yea, I shall observe it with my whole heart. All right? I'm not going to ask you tonight how many of you do devotions. I hope that you're in the Word at least some every day. I'm not going to tell you how much you need to be in there every day. But you need to be in it quite a bit. All right? Now, I hope you're in there some. If you're going to be in it, why not try to learn something from it? And then why not try to apply that to your life that day? So you're growing as a, a spiritual individual. Okay? So what we need is a heart to receive. Okay? Uh, turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. All right? Mark chapter 4. And I want you to see here the parable of the sower in verse number 3. That's in your New Testament. You know, hold your place in Ezra 7. But I don't want to skip over this passage. I want you to see this. So in your New Testament, you got Matthew and then Mark. Mark chapter 4, look at verse number 3. I'm going to pick up in the middle of the verse there. He says, Behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. Some of the seeds he thrown fell to the wayside. They, they didn't land where they're supposed to. And so the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. All right? I, I'm sowing seeds tonight. That's what I'm doing. I'm sowing seeds. And if you don't care, you're, you're by the wayside. You could care less tonight. Well, that seed's still going. And it's still going out there for everybody to get. But if you don't want it, then it's just come along and it's plucked up and it's, it's gone. Then he says in verse 5, And some fell on stony ground, where it had not much earth. And immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. So it came up. There's, it's, it's, it's real rocky ground. There's some dirt there. Uh, we used to go hiking a lot when we, when we were, uh, when the kids were really young. And uh, one time we went to Montesano, and uh, we stopped and I was looking off of the uh, mountainside there down in the valley. And uh, there was something growing out of the rock. You remember what it was? Do you remember that? Man, that was a good memory for me. We called it tree rock. We called that place tree rock. Because it was this big rock, but there was a tree that had grown through that. All right? That tree had found good soil and was able to grow up through that. Made a, made a crack in the rock. And I remember it coming out of there. Well, when he's using this example here, the stony ground, it's got some dirt on it, but it can't go deep. It's very shallow. So a person, he's speaking about the soil as being that of your heart. Your heart can be very hardened. You're not that interested. You're very shallow in your Christian belief or your, even your desire to learn about God. It's very shallow. It's not that it's completely void. There's something there. But you'll take it, and it might sprout up a little bit, meaning this. 
you enjoy being at church tonight. But when you leave this place, you go back to being the same person you were before. It didn't really produce anything. Okay? That's the, that's the stony ground. All right, then look at the next one. He says in verse, verse 6, but when the, uh, verse 6, when the sun was up, it scorched because it had no root and it withered away. Verse 7, and some fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it and yielded no fruit. The thorns is all of those things in our life that crowd out what God wants to do in our life. All right, we got our, we got our mind on boys or we got our mind on girls. We got our mind on work. We got our mind on responsibilities, schoolwork, all of this stuff, sports, all of these things. All of these things are growing there in that same soil and it is choking out the good seed that is trying to produce. In verse 8, another fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some 30 and some 60 and some 100. So that good ground, that, that, that heart that is ready to receive it, for it to do something, it, it begins, it sprouts up, it grows, it becomes healthy, it increases and next thing you know, it's, it's, it's expanded so that it's not just that one seed. It's not producing one fruit. It's producing 30 and 60 and 100. And everybody's getting to enjoy it because you're ready to receive it. Okay? So he had a desire to seek the law of the Lord and to do it. He had a heart to receive and he also had a heart to believe. Charles Spurgeon said, I would recommend you either believe God up to the hilt or else not believe at all. Believe this book of God, every letter of it, or else reject it. There's no logical standing place between the two. Be satisfied with nothing less than a faith that swims in the deeps of divine revelation. Because a faith that paddles about the edge of the water is poor faith at best. It is little better than a dry land faith, and it's not good for much. You know how we do when we go to the swimming pool? And we're trying to test the waters. What do we do? We put our foot in there. Whew, it's cold. The best way to do it is just jump in. Amen? If it's cold, it's going to be cold all over. The worst thing you can do is ease in, right? Because if you're like me, you can ease in. It's not too bad until it gets right here. Woo! And then you start feeling it, right? Then you start to feel it. Just jump on in. Don't just play around with it. Just jump in. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he's a reward of them that diligently seek him. Last point. Go back to Ezra chapter 7. Ezra chapter 7. He sought to study. He sought to submit. In verse 10 at the last part, he sought to school. Okay? And to, he, Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. He didn't want to keep what he learned to himself. He wanted to help others grow in their faith, to grow in their knowledge and understanding of God. And so he wanted to impact other lives. So it was for him, he prepared his heart to learn what God wanted. What is God's expectation for his life? How could he have the hand of God upon his life? And then he wanted to do what he learned. He wanted to, to do it. He just didn't want to, to know it. He wanted to put it into practice. 
And then he wanted to take what he had learned and be a help to somebody else, to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. And all of you young men and young ladies, you can be a help to everybody who's around you. You don't have to know the entire word of God. You take the light that you do have and you shine it so that others can be blessed by it. Someone said, it's an anonymous quote, the most significant contribution we make in life is the passing of our faith to the next generation. Hmm, that's good stuff. So whether it's in one-on-one discipleship, whether it's a Sunday school or life group class or preaching to thousands, there is a need for every Christian to do their part. So, go to Matthew chapter 28. We're done in Ezra 7. You can leave that. Let's, let's finish up with a couple of points here. Matthew 28. And uh, we're going to look at the verses that we know of as the Great Commission, beginning in verse number 19. Most want to focus on verse 19, but that's not all of the Great Commission. Go ye, go ye therefore and teach all, uh, teach all nations, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. So we got to go and we got to evangelize. We got to see people saved. After we see people saved, we want to help them, we want to encourage them to get them baptized to make a public profession of their faith. That's why I always say the first step after becoming a Christian is not putting away the music or cutting your hair or all of those things. The very first step is to follow the Lord in baptism. It's a very simple step. Amen? Every baby has to learn to crawl first, right? You, you just take small steps. Nobody can run. Nobody can leap. Uh, nobody can dunk a basketball or throw a football 50 yards when you're, when you're first born. You just, you got to take steps to get the right kind of growth. So the first step is to be baptized. Then what does he say in verse 20? Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So the responsibility then becomes, so a lot of people think, well, I got them saved. Now they're baptized, the work is through. The work is only beginning. Because then the responsibility is discipleship. It's teaching, it's training, it's growing, it's helping them. Everything that I have been taught, I have the responsibility to help somebody else learn that. Can I get amen out there? That goes for everybody. It's not just the pastor, it's everybody. Everything that we have learned, we have the responsibility to teach others. So you're teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. So you take that. You want to do it, but you also want to teach others and impact their life. Go to, uh, keep going to your right, 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, towards the end of the New Testament. I want you to look in verse 1. This is Paul's last letter, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Thou, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. How did... 
how do we how do we get the gospel in 2023? Because someone had heard it, believed it, and delivered it to us, right? So it's a it's it's always repeating itself. Someone once said that God has no grandchildren. Do you know what that means? It it means everyone that gets saved becomes a child of God, right? And we are always, the gospel is one generation from going extinct. Meaning, if your generation fails to preach the gospel, who's going to believe it? Who's going to get it after you? Right? So it, it, fall, it falls upon each of us. All right? So he says there, the things, verse 2, the things that you have heard of me among many witnesses. Okay? What, what, what Jesus had taught them, the word that was delivered to... to to him, and then Paul delivered unto others. Paul says, now it's on you to give that to faithful men and they're faithful because they accept the responsibility they're going to go teach somebody else. So it's always reciprocating. Okay, It's always repeating. So, go, now go back. You, you were in Ezra, okay, in the Old Testament, uh, one book after Ezra is Nehemiah. And I want you to see Nehemiah chapter 8. And we'll stop right here. And then we'll have some prayer time. Nehemiah chapter 8. So you see the purpose of discipleship. Now watch the practice of discipleship. And you're going to have to bear with me. Because if you can pronounce these names better than me, you can come up here and preach. I'm not going to get them all right. but you won't know any different either. <laughs> so I shouldn't even say it. All right, Nehemiah chapter 8. Look with me in verse 1. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. So this is in Jerusalem. Let me just... This is Jerusalem. Ezra made it to Jerusalem. Uh, and he had a desire in chapter 8. Skipped over that for the sake of time. But he makes it to Jerusalem. Nehemiah, remember, he's been building the wall there. And so everybody gathers together. Ezra the scribe is now there. And they, they ask him to bring, bring the word of God, bring the book of the law of Moses. And so in verse 2, Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. Verse 3. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday. Talk about... I don't want you to ever say anything about how long I preach. Because nobody complained. Amen, 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 preacher, all right? He went from the morning until midday before the men and the women and those that could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. What does that mean? It means everybody was engaged. Everybody wanted to hear it. Now, let's be honest here. They're really hungry for it and they really want to hear it because they have suffered. Amen. They have suffered. They have come back to Jerusalem. 
they're, where they were taken away captive. Their family was taken away captive. Now they're back home. That flight, the flight into Israel, when you fly El Al Airline, which is a Israel airline, and you're on the plane with many, many Jews, it is a cultural experience. It is an eye-opening experience. They are excited to go to Jerusalem. Here they are. They are there. They have suffered. Now they have asked, they have asked the preacher, come bring us the word of God. Read us the word of God. From morning to midday, and everybody's attentive to it. They're eager to learn. They're eager. They're hungry for it. They want it. All right, watch verse 4. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose. No, it does not mean that he stood on top of this thing right here. This whole area that I am standing on is a pulpit. He's delivering the word of God. He says, beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Messiah. On his right hand, on his left hand, Padiah, Mishael, Malchiah, Hashem, Hashpadana, Zechariah, Meshalom. Left hand, right hand. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people did what? They stood up. That's where we get that from. People stood up when he read it. And Ezra in verse 6, blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, what? Amen. Amen. Sometimes I add a third amen. It's okay to say Amen. And lifting up of hands. And they bowed their heads and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And then he mentions another list of people. Verse 7, and Jeshua and Benai and Sherebiah and Jamin and Akub and Shabbatai and Hadiah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah and the Levites caused the people to understand the law and the people stood in their place. So they read in the book in the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. There was more than just Ezra involved. That's the point I'm trying to make. It's more than just your pastor standing up and preaching the word of God. It's a group of people who are also out there who gather together among the people and they also read in the book of the law distinctly, and they give the sense and cause them to understand the reading. That's discipleship. That's discipleship. It's helping others to learn and to grow. Okay? So, in closing, let me, let me go back and read this. Ezra chapter 7, you don't have to go back there, but verse number 10, Ezra prepared his heart. That's where it began. He reached his potential because he worked for it. Every athlete reaches a potential because he puts in the effort, the time, the energy, okay? We all reach our potential, not by dreaming, not by wishing for it, not by hoping for it, but because we put forth the effort that we want to get to where we're supposed to be. So he prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, to learn what God expected of him, what God wanted him to do. 
And he, he chose to do it, he chose to obey it, and then he chose to impact other lives with it. And we really reach our potential when we are following the Great Commission, accepting Jesus Christ as our Savior, publicly professing that faith, and then investing what we have learned into other people. Amen? The title of this message tonight is Prepare Your Heart. And may we prepare ours for God to do great things with it. Amen. That's all I got for tonight.